Welcome to the Bridgeway Church Podcast. My name is David Bowden, and every week I sit down with one or several members of our church staff and host a conversation about how Bridgeway is seeking to fulfill its mission as the Church of Jesus Christ here in our city. If you are a member of Bridgeway, we hope this helps you more deeply engage with what God is doing in our midst. And if you aren't a part of Bridgeway, we hope you feel welcome and that our discussions may lead to more Christ-glorifying ministry in your own context. Let's jump in. Well, welcome to the Bridgeway Church podcast. Uh, my name is David Bowden, and I have with me lead pastor here at Bridgeway, Sam Storms. Sam, how are you doing today? I'm doing exceptionally well. How are you? Exceptionally well, yeah. Exceptionally well. I'm doing really well. Yeah, Yeah. I'm very excited about this podcast. We've kind of uh, floated more over the top the last couple times you've been on the show. We talked about why preaching the first time you were on, and then why expositional preaching specifically Mm -hmm. last time. Now we're really drilling down to one specific area that I'm really excited about, and that is what is the role of the Holy Spirit in preaching? Uh, he has none. <laughs> okay, episode no, yeah, over. Yeah. yeah, okay. See you all. Goodbye. <laughs> if, if, if that's our opinion, don't listen to us anymore. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, you don't need to click the unsubscribe button. You, you don't go. need it anymore. Uh, so, to, so to kick it off, let's ask the question, um, why should we be talking about this at all? Uh, why is it important to talk about the Holy Spirit's role in preaching in the first place? Well, I think maybe the most foundational answer to that is the fact that the Spirit of God is the one who inspired Scripture, and it is Scripture that we preach. Right. So uh, it seems, I mean, just common sense would dictate that if you want to know what a particular text means, the best source for finding out is from the author. I mean, obviously, if I could sit down across from uh, some of my favorite authors, and after having read their books, say, hey, tell me what you meant here. What, what were you suggesting? What are the implications of this? Mm. That would make sense rather than perhaps me asking you or somebody who had nothing to do with its co- composition. So, I mean, we're, we're starting from the assumption the Spirit of God is the source, the origin um, of the written text. And if preaching, as we talked about in previous right. podcasts, another, another assumption of ours. Is, is unpacking the biblical text, then if we are not um, in touch with, attuned to, uh, listening to the voice of the Spirit, then we're obviously uh, in, in for danger. We're going to be misguided. We're going to be led off into areas that obviously are, are not consistent with what He's revealed in the Word. So first and fundamentally, it is the Spirit of God who has brought to us Scripture. I mean, when we see this all through uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Yeah. So <clears throat> that is, I think, my first and, and most fundamental response is why the Holy Spirit, why we need to give serious consideration to the work of the Spirit in preaching. Um, I mean, there are so many other ways to answer that as well. Uh, I think, for example, and and we can unpack each of these in turn as we go. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, for the preacher, for the person who's studying the text, the Spirit of God is is very much involved in that process. If he's not, in other words, if if I'm approaching the text strictly from a from a, a, a human naturalistic point of view, it's going to be um, different from somebody who is crying out to the Spirit, help me understand this, yeah. enlighten my eyes, uh, show me where I'm wrong, uh, uh, bring to mind other texts uh, mm. that, that would shed light on the one I'm reading. So if we don't do that, we're in danger. And then also um, the people who are listening to us, uh, you know, I, as you know, David, here at Bridgeway, um, 
unless I forget it, I usually open a sermon with a prayer that right. includes Psalm 119, verse 18. That's right. Where uh, the psalmist says, open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your law. Well, by law, he's talking about the written word of God. So I just replaced the word law with word. Yep. Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things in your word. Well, that suggests that we are by nature blind to what's in the mm-hmm. text. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we need the supernatural help of the Spirit of God in um, enabling us to see the glory and the beauty of everything that he's put in it. Um, so the bottom line, and this may sound a little bit over the top, but I'm prepared to defend it, um, preaching as well as listening to preaching are both profoundly supernatural acts. Yes, yeah. Uh, it's you know I can I can jump on YouTube or go down to the Civic Center and listen to TED talks, right? And I might learn a lot, mm-hmm. but I don't necessarily need the the work of the Holy Spirit to enable me to decipher what a speaker is saying about a specific topic. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about the Word of God, um, it's very clear all through Scripture that this Word has come to us from a supernatural source. It has been preserved, inerrant, and infallible by a supernatural power. And that we are to communicate it by means of the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we listen to it, it is the Spirit of God who quickens our hearts and our minds, not just to cognitively grasp what is being said, but to love it, to appreciate it, to awaken our affections and our love for God. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So so really, like you said, we, we kind of need to drill down and unpack each of those in turn. So what we have here are kind of three different camps we've talked about that you've, you've hit on really well already. We, and you've kind of established why should we be having this conversation in each of these categories. And I think those categories are, as you said, the starting point was the Word of God. Uh, you talked about the preacher and his understanding of the Word of God, and then the listener and their being able to decipher what is being preached from the Word of God, all right. of which is empowered by and enabled by the Holy Spirit, because as you've said, kind of the thesis statement for this podcast here is uh, preaching is a supernatural act. Listening to and delivering a sermon is supernatural. So I, I, it might be a little out of order, uh, and if you want to go in a different order, that's fine. Okay. But I'd be curious just... I don't know if it's just the practical side of me or not, but um, would it be prudent for us to start with um, the Holy Spirit's role in the preacher himself as sure. he prepares for his sermon, sure. as he presents his sermon? Kind of, why don't you talk about the Holy Spirit's role in the agent of the preacher? Yeah, and I've got a couple of pet peeves here. Oh boy, <laughs> <laughs> let me start one, with with one of my biggest ones. I oftentimes hear uh, preachers and. Granted, most times they're very young, they're very passionate, they're very energetic, and and they're sincere in what they say, but I I think they're really misguided. And I'll hear them say things like, well, just so you know how dependent upon the Holy Spirit I am for my preaching, I don't even start thinking about a text or preparing until late Saturday night. Mm. Or you will hear some who will say things like, I don't prepare at all. I mean, if I'm really going to be dependent on the Spirit, He'll give me what I'm supposed to say at the moment I stand behind a pulpit in front of an of a congregation. I see. To me that's just basically an excuse to justify laziness. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> and it's got it, it's based on this idea that somehow um, careful research, meditation, examination, study of the text, listening to others who've looked at it before you is somehow fleshly mm. uh, when in fact um, it it is all empowered by the spirit or at least it should be. And then it's also this idea that some have that God, the Spirit of God is more active on one day of the week than he is on the other six. Right. Um, I admit, and I don't know if we talked about this before, 
but I acknowledge I'm a little weird in this regard. I start sermon preparation on Monday morning. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of others wait till Friday or Saturday or whatever, but I remember talking with John Piper about it, and you know, John started his sermon prep on Friday afternoon mm. and worked all the way through until Saturday night. And when I told him I started on Monday and usually finished no later than Wednesday morning, he was just, he thought, I, I can't, how in the world? Um, but here's, here's my point, getting back to, to our main concern here. The Spirit of God is just as active and energetic and powerful in his ministry of illumination and sustaining us and directing our thoughts on a Monday as he is on Tuesday, as he is on Thursday, as he is on Saturday or Sunday. Mm -hmm. And to think that somehow um, you lose the quote-unquote anointing mm -hmm. if you uh, prepare early or that somehow the Spirit isn't um, really awake yet and he really doesn't <laughs> empower preachers until the last minute as if somehow this honors him more. I mean, I've actually heard that said. Well, mm -hmm. I, I honor the the spirit and his power and his role in my ministry more if I wait uh, than if I prepare in advance. And won't if you prepare if you prepare in advance, won't the message on your heart become stale five days later when you actually stand up to preach it? I mean, the word of God never becomes stale. Right. I mean, that's just crazy. So you know, it's a it's a sad thing that some people think that uh, uh, that an individual who now let's let's take a great classic historical example, Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon prepared his sermons on Saturday night. Okay. But I don't, I've never met another Charles Spurgeon. Of course, I never met the original <laughs> yeah. one either, but I've never come across anybody who has that kind of a mind, that mm -hmm. kind of a comprehensive encyclopedic grasp yeah. of Scripture and sources. So maybe you're like Charles Spurgeon and you can wait. But And again, I, could, I really don't care when a pastor right. prepares. Right, that's not really the point. My point is the Spirit of God doesn't care either. Right. <laughs> that, that's the point yeah. I want to make. Um, he is just as present to me on a Monday as if he may be if I have to wait till Wednesday or Friday to prepare. So uh, I guess I kind of want to get out of, the, out of the area of consideration, this idea that some younger pastors may have that it's more honoring of the Spirit, it reflects a greater humility on their part, it shows a greater dependence of them on the Spirit to wait to the last minute. The Spirit of God is operative 24-7 anytime we open His Word. And um, so I, I just want to... So I would... And again, I, honestly, I've got real practical reasons for starting on Monday mm. and hopefully finishing by Wednesday. Because when I've already crafted my message... I spend Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday rehearsing it in my head, going it over and over and right. over again. And sometimes certain things will come to mind, and I'll, I'll go back and make changes. Sure. But I, have, I am much more familiar with the passage and, and uh, attuned to what the Spirit is saying to me when I've finished it, and then I can just spend the rest of the time praying and reflecting than if I waited until the last minute. So that's just my personal preference. It's not to condemn or judge anybody else for their chosen uh, procedure, but <clears throat> the Spirit, again, the Spirit of God is always present, always there to help sustain, direct, bring conviction, um, anytime, any day of the week. Right. So, so that which is extemporaneous isn't necessarily charismatic. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> right. That's yeah. right. So I think that's really helpful. And I think also, I mean, even even with the t 
text we quoted earlier from Psalm 119 that it's you know we're asking God to open our eyes as we read the scriptures and if and and he's present in that on Monday or Saturday night if you're Spurgeon you know right. uh, as he would be on a Sunday morning so that's kind of a preparation you talked about a pet peeve I don't know if there's anything else you want to talk about preparation but then I also want you to speak into the Holy Spirit's role in the preaching act for the preacher sure. as well. Well, I do have a couple other thoughts before Great. we leave it on this issue of preparation. Um, I would I would caution, and this is especially true for younger preachers who are first starting out, less so for someone who's been doing it for over 40 years like me, although I still need to pay attention to my own advice, um, to rely excessively on the work of others. Mm can sometimes, I think, stifle or quench the Spirit's work in helping the pastor. Um, early on in my ministry, I was far more dependent on commentaries than I am now. Mm. Um, doesn't mean I don't use them, because I think God has empowered and enlightened others to understand biblical text, oftentimes in a far more insightful way than he has in me. But if, if a preacher is depending almost exclusively on what others have said, rather than sitting over a text and and staring at it and yeah. he's sticking his nose right down in the page and asking questions of it and asking the spirit of god to bring insight if he's not doing that on his own then he's just going to become an echo of others rather than a voice for the people to, to whom he's ministering so um i i would i would strongly warn even uh, young new pastors early on in their ministries don't don't throw out resources and commentaries and books, but don't become excessively dependent upon them either. Um, and then and then there's another factor in, in this process of preparation that's important. Um, I can't count the number of times that having already put together what I, what I think I'm going to preach on a passage during the week, that late on Saturday night or early on Sunday morning, the Spirit of God will really bring something to bear on my heart. Some some unique application or illustration or insight into the text that didn't come earlier. Mm -hmm. And I always have to be open to that. So I don't ever want to suggest that somehow um, everything is downloaded that the Spirit's going to do early in the week. In fact, the Spirit, as I said, can work at any time. Right. That makes the opposite assumption and fallacy that you were debunking earlier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I had I had this experience uh, just this last year when I was delivering the— uh, presidential address for the Evangelical Theological Society. Mm -hmm. I had worked on that message for months, thought I had it down pat, and literally on the afternoon of the evening in which I was to deliver it, I was I, I laid down for a short nap, and it was just like the Spirit of God just, you know, hey, buddy, <laughs> <laughs> you've missed a point. And in fact, it was absolutely central oh, to my man. entire thesis. And I thought, how in the world could I have overlooked this? And it was, in fact, I was citing the wrong text to make a point, and uh, I just, the Spirit of God is quick and faithful to do that for us. If we're just open to it and constantly uh, conscious of His presence and, and pray to Him, Lord, open my eyes in some way that I have overlooked something significant. Mm. Don't let me mislead your people. Yeah. So... Um, Always, always open, always tender, always vulnerable, yielding to what the Spirit's doing at any time. That's great. Um, so is that all you kind of had on preparation there for the preacher? Well, you know, there's obviously there's, <laughs> there's more. A lot. Um, I, I, I think of texts like um, 
Let me think. I've got my Bible right open here. Ephesians chapter 1. We all know this passage where Paul prays for them uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Mm -hmm. And by the way, for those of you not reading the ESV, the word spirit there should be capitalized. Because sometimes they think it means an attitude or a disposition mm -hmm. of, no, it's the Holy Spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you. So in preparation, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly, consciously as well as unconsciously saying, uh, spirit of wisdom and revelation, open my eyes, mm -hmm. enlighten the eyes of my heart, tenderize me to truth, lead me in the right direction. Guard me from speaking any error. So a passage like that is crucial. Uh, and then there's Second um, Timothy chapter two, fascinating statement Paul makes. Uh, he's been instructing Timothy. You know, this is the last letter that Paul wrote before he died. Yeah. And he says in verse seven of chapter two, "Think over what I say, because the Lord will give you understanding in everything." Mm. Now, here's what happens sometimes. Some pre preachers say. I don't like to think. I think I'll just sit on the side of a hill strumming my guitar and wait for the Spirit of God to give me understanding in all this. But that's not what Paul says. Right. He says, think over what I say. Devote your intellectual energy toward understanding it. Mm. Here's why. Because the Lord will give you understanding. He doesn't give understanding apart from the thinking, but by means of it. Mm -hmm. And so all the while that I'm preparing a message or uh, doing research, I'm praying constantly, Lord, give me understanding. Um, Spirit of God, enlighten the eyes of my heart. Open my eyes. Quicken me. Um, do whatever is necessary through whatever means uh, you choose to guard me from going down a path that's going to bring destruction and deception to your people. So what about the preaching act? Um, how, how, is, how is the Holy Spirit active? What's the Holy Spirit's role mm -hmm. when the preacher gets behind a pulpit and starts to preach? Well, if I can, I keep coming back to the text. <laughs> Believe it or not, I actually want to appeal to the Bible here. Uh, I, I keep thinking of Paul in his statement to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2. And I think most people know this in the, the opening uh, five verses. He says, when I came to you proclaiming to you the testimony of God, I didn't come with lofty speech or wisdom. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. He said, in fact, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, which is interesting. Um, it, it tells us that the Spirit of God can be very powerfully active in your preaching, even though you feel weak, you're terrified, yeah. and you're shaking in your shoes. Definitely. <laughs> And, and so Paul says, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Now, that doesn't mean that Paul wasn't wise. Right. Doesn't mean that he wasn't eloquent. He was. I mean, you read his letters. He knew how to turn a phrase. Oh, yeah. But he's saying, I wasn't depending upon my educational uh, talents as if somehow I thought that was adequate. But here's what he says. But in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That is the power of God's spirit. 
So here he's saying, when I preached to you, it was in complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit and the power that he brings to bear. So I think in the act of preaching itself, the Spirit of God can give shape and energy to, to the way you give expression to biblical truths. And again, I think it's important, and I, and, and I know that there are some preachers who say, you know, once I've put it on paper, I never deviate from my manuscript. Mm-hmm. You know, it's right there in front of me, and some of them actually will just read it. But I think there has to be an openness and a, and a sensing what the Spirit is doing in the, in the very moment of preaching. There's a supernatural uh, consciousness there. Um, and I think also in the people who are listening, they need to be crying out, Lord, help me understand what you're saying. And not just cognitively, not just so I can, you know, repeat it to somebody, but a, a deepen and awaken my affections for the truth of what is being said, intensify my love for Jesus, my joy, my hope, mm. my zeal for him as I'm listening so there is, as I said earlier, that supernatural dimension that comes with listening as much um, as there is in the preaching itself. Um, I'd also want to throw in here the whole role of prayer. Mm. Um, yeah. I know this might sound strange to people, but um, I, I certainly do pray extensively before I preach, but I'm praying as I preach. Mm. Uh, and it's a little strange. Yeah. <laughs> You know, I've got a little conversation running in my mind at the same time words are coming out of my mouth, uh, which can be scary because some words might come out of my mouth that I didn't intend. (laughs) But um, um, there's this, but especially in advance, granted, that's where most prayer needs to be. But I just, I would just hope that we don't hedge our bets in prayer when it comes to preaching. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, um, well, Lord... uh, Come, Holy Spirit, and uh, do a mighty work in me and in the people today, but only if you promise in advance to do things in a way that's neat and tidy and won't embarrass me. Right. You know, um, or we, we pray for revival and renewal and power and life-changing events as a result of preaching, but then we kind of put parameters on, on that, like, well, yeah, but God— um, you know, can you give me a guarantee in advance that you'll make sure and do it the way we've always done it here before? Yeah. Um, so I think we all always need to be careful about, do we hedge our bets in prayer, um, both before and during our time of preaching? Um, let me, let me give a, a just a, a quick illustration. This happened at Bridgeway, actually. It was oh, about a year ago, I think. Uh, I was using as an illustration, of course, here at Bridgewell, we have two services. Uh, it was during the first service. I was using as an illustration the real tragic story of a 16-year-old uh, Muslim, I say Muslim, Muslim background believer. He believed in Jesus, uh, came from a Muslim background, and I believe it was in Pakistan, and he had been beaten to death in, right. in his classroom. I remember this. Yeah, it was just an incredible story, and I showed the picture of the guy and um, had all this confirmed by multiple sources. Um, and and so I just presented it, you know, that these radical Muslims killed this young Christian boy. And after the um, after the first service, everything seemed to be going fine. It was into the second service. I'm and I'm preaching this right in the middle of telling that story this thought just leaps into my, intrudes itself into my mind, Sam. And I'm thinking this to myself, 
what if there are Muslims here today? Yeah. How are they going to react? And I, so I immediately stopped and I said, okay, folks, I just want you to understand, not all Muslims are like those who beat this Christian boy to death. There are some, there are some peaceful, um, civil, law-abiding Muslims who would never give any consideration to that kind of violence. And so I don't want you to think that I'm stereotyping all Muslims in this way. And then I went back and finished the story. And then after the service, one of our pastors came up to me. He said, oh, my, did you know that there were six Muslims visiting today from <laughs> the university here in, in, in Edmond, Oklahoma? And I thought, oh, thank you, Lord. Yeah. So was that the Spirit of God in the very middle of preaching, um, awakening me to, to something that otherwise could have been very damaging to people present and maybe even close their hearts down to the gospel? Mm. And the answer is yes. And I— yeah. and. I think there are probably numerous times that happens to me that I'm not even aware of its impact as, as I was made aware on this occasion. And I have to be open to that. And I right. know there, there may be some preachers who are who are so scared of deviating and saying something wrong that they just simply won't listen. But we have to be sensitive to the spontaneity and the prompting of the Spirit at any time in, in the course of preaching a message. That's all extremely helpful. Um, as we move into the role of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, I'm kind of reflecting back on our conversation. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about how the preacher engages the Word of God in preparation. Um, is there any other role the Holy Spirit would play in, in regards with how the text is exposited or studied that you'd want to address, or would you want to jump ahead to the role of the Holy Spirit in bringing that text to bear upon the audience on a Sunday morning? Um. I, this may sound strange. This may almost sound like I'm undermining everything I've already said, <laughs> but I, I assure you it's not. Um, I think one of the problems in our world, and I'm saying by our world, I'm talking about the charismatic evangelical world. We who believe in the operation of spiritual gifts today, mm-hmm. I think some charismatics have this idea that when they're engaged with studying the, the, a biblical passage and they're getting ready to preach it, that the Spirit of God is going to give them uh, the meaning and the interpretation of passages apart, and we talked about this briefly a moment ago, apart from their own preparation and study. Mm. I think that's dangerous. Yes. Um, I'm not saying the Spirit of God doesn't give enlightenment. We've already looked at several mm-hmm. texts where it says that he does. But um, I think we need to honor the, um, the principles of interpretation, mm-hmm. uh, the ways in which uh, our forebears have, have taught us and how to read Scripture. Uh, and if we ignore that and just kind of sit there thinking, well, I'm just going to empty my mind and wait for the Spirit to drop meaning into it, I think we're on very, very thin ice there. So I would just say um, I, I don't think— on the one hand, that we need to approach study and preparation the way uh, you know a college student would a chemistry exam, nor do we approach it in the way I just described as if somehow we need to come with empty heads and trust that the Spirit's going to drop interpretations into us willy-nilly. Both of those are extremes we have to avoid. Yeah, absolutely. I often hear most of the most of the sermons that I've heard that have been just way off kilter have come from that false starting point of, well, I was reading this text and the Holy Spirit just brought something to mind and then he proceeds to say something that 
you've never heard anyone in Christendom ever say before. Yeah, red flag. Yeah, and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> hold on there. And that's kind of the emptying of the mind, and it, and it ends up being this domineering, authoritative spirit revelation that he's claiming that becomes more authoritative than the Bible itself mm-hmm. and what the author's intended to communicate. And so it's dangerous. Yeah, but, and again, I, I don't want to be misleading here. You know, when I'm when I'm preparing, I start out with prayer. I'm going to spend time in prayer. Absolutely. I'm going to, I might even spend time worshiping. I get yeah. my favorite worship songs or videos on my laptop. I might uh, just try to just to quiet my heart. And anytime I open the text and uh, or I'm reading a commentary, I'm saying, Lord, what is it here? Maybe there's some applic. For example, maybe there's some application that is uniquely in. Uh, needed by and designed for my people at Bridgeway yeah. that might not necessarily be the case in another church in the same city. Now, again, I'm not talking about a different meaning because I think there's a singular right. meaning in the text. Um, I don't think it, you know, what does this text mean to you? That's dangerous. The text is what did this text mean to its author? Right. That's what we're trying to ascertain. But in terms of how it applies there's a multiplicity of differing applications because multiplicity of people in different contexts with yes. different struggles and the like. And so um, I, I just want to be constantly sensitive, open, listening, uh, attuned to what the Spirit of God might do in terms of how I make application of that particular text to, to, to our people. next question kind of blends and bleeds into uh, the final category that I want to talk about is the Holy Spirit and his role in communicating his truth to the congregation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, th- and so that is, you know, we've talked about how the Word of God or the words of God, that this is the Holy Spirit's book, and so we need the author to be there to help explain it to us. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really helpful way to talk about it. Um, so what's the Holy Spirit's role in as the preacher, the prepared, the Holy Spirit prepared preacher gets behind the pulpit and exposits the sermon as faithfully as he can by the power of the Holy Spirit, prayerfully, well prepared, all those things, check, 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 check. Now, what's the role of the Holy Spirit in that word going out and communicating to the ears and hearts of listeners in the congregation? Well, I think the first place to begin there is there is a, a huge responsibility that rests upon the people who are listening. Uh I've, I've talked about this, how, you know, I even preached a sermon once out of Philippians 2 on how to hear the Word of God. Hmm. Um, and I think, unfortunately, that people who come to church, so to speak, each week, um, and they sit down and they approach listening to a sermon much in the same way they approach watching a TV show yeah. or listening to a podcast. There's no preparation. There's no, right. there's no consciousness um, in them of... Lord, if there's some specific, especially relevant issue that's going to be communicated today that I need to hear, that I need to respond to, would you tenderize my heart? Would you make me attentive? Would you? Uh, and again, a lot of that is dependent on uh, the mood with which you come into the service. Yeah. I mean, people who say, well, I never can really get much out of the sermon, and it's kind of boring, and... Uh, 
I, I tend to fall asleep. And I'm, my question is, what time did you go to bed last night? Hmm. Were you out till midnight or 1 or 2 a.m. hanging out with friends and partying? Did you spend any time last night reading the text in advance? Because, you know, if you're going through a book, you can probably know what the preacher's going to preach on. Did you spend any time in prayer asking the Spirit of God to quicken your heart, to keep you physically and intellectually and emotionally alert to what is being said? Mm-hmm. So, again, I think that conscious moment-by-moment dependence on the part of people is absolutely crucial. And then, you know, there's this, tra- there's this transaction The Spirit of God has embedded truth in His Word. I study, I pray, I think I I ascertain what it means. Right. I then communicate that, and I seek to to, um, enforce it in a loving, gentle way, enforce it on the conscience of God's people who are present. Um, All of that is utterly and absolutely the work of the Spirit of God. And again, how that happens, I'm not real sure I can unpack that. I, I don't know how that we can scientifically assess that. Yeah. It is a spiritual, supernatural phenomenon um, that, that these very these texts were talking about. And, you know, Paul said, when I preached, I did it in dependence upon the Spirit and the power and the demonstration of the power of God. Because I didn't want your confidence, I didn't want you walking out of the service saying, well, I believe that because, man, was that an eloquent preacher. Man, can he turn a phrase. Man, what a... What a, a clever way of, of stating a principle or a truth. No, Paul's saying, I want you to walk away with a deep conviction in your soul um, that I've, ju- I've just heard the voice of God from mm-hmm. Scripture. And, um, you know, pre- that's another thing I think that's crucial. I, I, you know, I've been asked, you know, how do you quench the Spirit when you preach? Yeah. Well, one way is by failing to aim at the affections of your hearers. It's easy to aim at their minds. It's easy to communicate information. But the point of the information is to inflame the heart. Mm. It's to awaken the the passions and the affections of joy and hope and peace and love and zeal and desire and yearning, all these affections that the Word of God talks about. And if we do, as preachers, don't uh, consciously aim to intensify and deepen the affections of our people as the, as the proper fruit of truth, then I think we have short-circuited what the Spirit of God is seeking to do. Yeah, and, and not only is it, do, do preachers often preach to the mind, I think they often also preach to the will instead of the affections. Mm-hmm. Do this, right? And, and, right. And I think that's, that's, a, that's an often, often a thing I see, I see done. Well, what else is taking place there? Or, or do you want to you keep talking about ways that we quench the Spirit in preaching? Which would you rather run with here? Well, um, I, I, there are several things. We could go down so many different paths. <laughs> um, you know, one of the questions people will often ask me is, they say, I'm so afraid of using um, uh, evocative language or, um, you know, vivid images because I'm fearful that um, that, that, will, that kind of eloquence or cleverness in speech will undermine the work of the Spirit. Hmm. And my response to that is it doesn't have to be an either-or. It's an issue of motivation. Yeah. So, for example, um, most of the preachers that I have learned the most from and still do are incredibly eloquent. Mm. 
They know how to put a sentence together. And and yet I've heard a lot of preachers who who, who wouldn't know grammar if it came up and <clears throat> you know took a chunk out of them on the backside who communicated powerfully because the Spirit of God was so present. But yeah. it's an issue of motivation. When I, when I get in the pulpit, I'm asking God, Lord, is my motivation to impress these people with my education mm-hmm. and with my capacity to paint a, a word picture in their minds, or am I motivated to elevate Jesus and to use language and imagery to make him look as great and glorious as he really is? Right. So I think that's a, that's a crucial role. Um, I think, you know, another issue that we got to be careful about our use of humor. Uh, I know there's some preachers who don't think humor has any place at all in the pulpit, and I know others who are more stand-up comedians than they are, are expositors. Right. Um, and again, I think it's, am I using humor uh, to endear myself to people, or am I using humor to shed um, greater light on who God is and what he's done for us in Jesus? And sometimes a, a, a joke, a good use of humor, can really help people connect with the reality of what it is you're communicating. So I just think we have to constantly ask ourselves again, what's my motivation here? Mm. That's really, uh, humor, I don't know, it just seems to be a really interesting case study because you. I often only hear, even in like a homiletics class or when I when I hear, I think it's Joel Olstein always starts every sermon with a quick joke. And, uh, but, yeah. But it, 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 it's oh, always... So, so now I know who you're watching on TV, <laughs> David. Uh, you, yeah. just, you just... Okay, done... I should say the three times I've, there I've you seen go. it. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it, it's always used to endear, uh, to endear the listener to the preacher's self and not, as you said, to shed more light on God and his, yeah, his attributes. It, my fear is it tends to trivialize the truth yeah. of God's word. And, I don't... and even the preaching moment. I think it, it does that too. Yeah. Uh, so I think if, if good humor can be integrated as in for illustrative purposes into a message, I think it has its place. Yeah. I just don't want laughter to be the primary character uh, response of the people. I want them to be gripped with the gravity of biblical truth and the and in awe of the beauty of who Christ is. Yeah, um, that's fantastic. So, is there a is there a is there a step too far here in this topic? As as we wrap down, um, can can the spirits work in the sermon, uh, or in as we've talked extensively about in preparing the sermon? Can it be overemphasized to the point where we're in danger or we've skewed something? Um, and you've kind of touched on that a little bit with, well, I'll just wait for him to give me the content of the sermon. Um, is there any other dangers of overemphasizing the Holy Spirit? Uh, in the preaching moment or in preparation? There may be, but I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is the underemphasis. Absolutely. I really do. I think it's at the other end of the spectrum. Um, Like I said, I think those um, who are, you know, let's, let's admit this. One of the reasons why, I think we talked about this in an earlier podcast, one of the reasons why there's so little good exposition in preaching It's because it's hard work. Right. Yeah, we talked about that last time. It is hard work. And so sometimes, and again, I don't want to indict the motivation of fellow pastors here without without grounds for doing so, but sometimes I fear that it is um, because they don't want to do the hard work of digging into the text and asking the tough questions and, and, and wrestling with issues that might end up being hard for their people to hear. And so they say, well, and they kind of bapt, they kind of spiritualize that. And say, well, I'll just, I'll only say what I feel the Spirit immediately and p- 
bringing to mind. And I think that's dangerous. Mm. Um, I really do, because I, I think oftentimes what we end up thinking the Spirit has brought to mind is really ourselves yeah. and our, the projection of our own prejudices and the like. Um, I will say one more thing, since we got a little minute here with, oh, to yeah. wrap this up. Yeah, have at it. All right. This is my, this is my most controversial point when I talk about uh, the Holy Spirit and oh, preaching. Good. We'll bury it here at the end yeah, of the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And before I say this, I want all my friends uh, who do what I'm about to describe to realize I'm not saying that you're sinning when you do this. I'm just asking you to really seriously consider the the impact of video preaching. Um, what I mean by that, in case our people don't know, multi-site churches oftentimes will have um, sites where there's no physical presence of a preacher, but what they see is on a screen, either a live stream video of the message or a recording of last week's sermon at the main campus. I don't think the New Testament explicitly condemns that. I, I can't say that it's sinful, but I do believe that it has the potential for quenching the Holy Spirit in preaching. Because if I'm preaching and I know that other people in a different physical location are watching who aren't present in that room, or especially if it's a delayed broadcast, a week delayed, there are things that I either will or won't do based on that knowledge. So if I feel the prompting of the Spirit of God to go in a different direction because of something that maybe is happening in the service or maybe something that we sang in a, in a song or whatever— or prayed in a prayer, how can I how can I do that freely and follow the leading of the Spirit if other people are going to be watching it who can't replicate that yeah. because they're not physically present, and especially if it's a week delayed? So I think we need to ask ourselves seriously, to what extent do I kind of subconsciously quench the Spirit and suppress what He can do or what I would allow Him to do um, based on the fact that I know that my sermon is going to be watched by people in a different place at a different time uh, who cannot experience the reality of what's happening in the very real moment that I'm actually speaking and delivering God's Word. Uh, that's a concern to me. Yeah, I think, I think it's, it's a concern that I have, I, I have as well, and I have friends who preach at video video campuses. Sure, I we, do too. Yeah, I have exactly. real close yeah, friends. And we continually have this discussion. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, I, I immediately am brought back to the example you gave earlier about the um, the six Muslims who visited mm -hmm. Bridgeway and you, the Holy Spirit put it on your heart to change, you know, how you told that story so that they felt more welcome and that their hearts might be softened for the gospel because of that little caveat you gave. Um that might not be the case with video preaching. It goes far and wide. It, it spans over a week sometimes. We just don't have that kind of that luxury. Is that the is that your main problem with yeah, it? Yeah, it is. It uh, is because I I often think because obviously the, the case could be made and I've heard it made that well the Holy Spirit can and does work through videos of sermons that were sure. a year ago. Sure, you know, and so obviously that's not what we're talking about. We're not saying. Well, if it's on a video, the spirit can't use it. Well, let, let me just give you let me just give you an example. <laughs> right, it happened here at Bridgeway, and it wasn't me. One of my associates was preaching on a Sunday, and in the, uh, uh, I think it was in the second service, um, right in the middle of his message, he didn't do it in the first service. Right in the middle of his message in the second service, he felt this incredible prompting and urging of the spirit 
to extend an appeal to people to respond. It was it was a gospel appeal. It was also an appeal for uh, just a greater empowering for Christian living. I can't remember the exact nature of it, but he, he stopped right in the middle of his message, and he called people up front, and dozens of people came to the front. Many were weeping. They felt the Spirit's presence. This fellow, his name was Andy. <laughs> Our Andy Edwards, I'll go ahead and yep. mention it. Our pastor for missions. He's been on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Andy began praying for them. It was powerful. Now, let's suppose for a moment mm-hmm. that um, that there was only one service, and that was the one that was being recorded, and it was going to be replayed later at another campus. How could the people of that other campus have connected with what was happening in that moment? And even more importantly, what effect would it have had on Andy? Would he have been as open and willing to deviate from his pre-planned preaching to uh, to facilitate that kind of ministry time if, in fact, he knew that others in different locations at different times were going to be watching this? Would he have been as open to oh, that? I see. Yeah. And I'm and I'm saying I don't know that he would have. I don't know that I would. I would be because I've I've been a guest preacher at some churches that are, have video. Uh, preaching and yep. I have been very conscious. I mean, they tell me in advance, don't mention any dates because right. you know, don't talk about morning is, or night. Yeah, yep. <laughs> got to be very generic. And there are just ways in which I think sometimes it might put a little bit of a lid, as it were, on what the Spirit of God can do in us spontaneously in the course of a sermon. Well, that's incredibly interesting. And yeah, like like you said, it will be controversial. Uh, It's not necessarily offensive, I don't think. But uh, I mean, it's definitely just, it's an argument that is being had. It's a conversation that's being had. And I understand, I understand, again, this is a whole other topic, the whole issue of multi-site and video preaching. I understand why this has developed. And and in many respects, it's good. It's because there's so many more people that want to hear that particular preacher because maybe he's very effective. Um, you know, Matt Chandler had did this with the Village Church, mm-hmm. and they've just made the decision recently to cease that. And right. they're putting um, a, a live uh, pastor at each one of their campuses to preach there, and they won't be doing uh, the video um, uh, broadcast of Matt. Um, but again, I understand for the years in which that church was growing, there wasn't, didn't seem really to be another option. Um, so I understand it. So I'm not at all suggesting that video preaching at multi-site campuses is sinful or somehow an intentional quenching of the Spirit. I'm just saying, asking, let me say, I'd rather ask than say, I'm asking, does that have the potential for quenching the Spirit? And perhaps should we reconsider whether or not it's a wise approach to ministry? Well, we'll leave it there. I think that's a good note to end on. So thank you, Sam. This has been a really beneficial conversation. I'm looking forward to having you on again before too long. And, uh, Thank you for your time. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for listening to the Bridgeway Podcast, where you will find a new conversation every Thursday. For more information about Bridgeway Church, we invite you to visit bridgewaychurch.com, or you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at BridgewayOKC, or on Facebook at facebook.com slash bridgewaychurchOKC. 
If you have any questions that you would like us to address on the podcast, feel free to email us at podcast at bridgewaychurch.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, please consider leaving us a review on the podcast app as it helps other people like you find our program. So on behalf of all the pastors and staff here at Bridgeway Church, I'm David Bowden saying thanks for listening and we will see you next week.